Thank you for listening to a Christ-centered message from Grace Community Church. We are committed to proclaiming the authority of God's Word without apology and trust that you will receive encouragement as we study today's passage together. Well, I invite you this morning, let's go in our Bibles together. We're in Nehemiah chapter 8. Nehemiah chapter 8, and we'll be in verses 9 through 12 today. The title of the message today, Time for Revival. And once again, if you've been watching the headlines in the past hours and days and weeks and months and years, you probably agree with this world needs revival. Our nation needs revival. This city needs revival. This church needs revival. And we can even narrow it down to, I need revival. I need to realize and live in the reality of God at work in me, through me, for his glory. Nehemiah's construction project came to a finish. We saw this last Sunday, and he and Ezra were ready to go. There was physical work that was crossed off the list that's done, but the spiritual work had just begun. Ezra had been working on this for almost 14 years, devoted to the word. And this was the day. This was a sacred day. It was a holy day to the Lord. And they were ready. And so the people responded. And we saw this in the first verses of this chapter. They, they responded. The people swelled up saying, bring the book. It wasn't Nehemiah having to say, are you ready now? Are you ready? You guys are ready now. Let's, let's you know, make some posters, bring out the book. They responded with, bring the book. And they were ready. The people gathered as one man. They stood in reverence when the word was read and taught. They were focused. The idea is their ears were, were leaning in. They would have given their ears in attentiveness to the word of God. They were focused, all that could hear. The word understand keeps reoccurring in this section so the people could understand. They understood the word. This is bringing a reality that they're understanding how glorious God is, what he has revealed in his word, and then there's us. Oh, this chasm separated by not just our disobedience, by our lack of putting him first in all things at all times, none of us stand a chance. And this understanding is dawning upon them as they hear the word of God, as they listen. The words convey the truth of God. There's no mortal man, no words of my own, no experiences of my own that I can bring to bear, no religious system lofty enough to cut all the way to the center of our being like the Word of God does. I recommend to you a, a short little book. Norman Grubb is the author with two Bs, Grubb. Continuous Revival, The Secret of Victorious Living. I just want to say this 
I thought it was helpful in his uh, preface to the book. He says, the truth is that revival is really the reviver in action. And he came 2,000 years ago at Pentecost. Revival is not so much a vertical outpouring from heaven as it is a horizontal outmoving of the reviver through these temples into the world. Sometimes when we think about revival and we think about the title of the message, you know, time for revival, what immediately can, can happen in my mind and maybe our minds, maybe you think this way, is I'm waiting on God to, to do some moving. I'm waiting on him to stir a people. And, and if, you know, if he falls, if he does something, then, then we'll respond. But that already happened 2,000 years ago. So instead of us sitting in waiting on the Lord to do something more because that wasn't good enough, that doesn't sound right because it isn't, he has given his spirit. Now it means what do we do in response and obedience that he actually uses the spirit and uses his people, these earthly temples that he now lives in. What does it look like to live in? That's the title of his book, Continuous Revival not waiting on experience after experience after experience. That, can some, that often is a letdown. Kids go to camp and they get all ex experience or, or when you're a child or when you're emotional and you're making a, a, a statement or a profession, but there's no root, there's no fruit. How do we live in this continuous revival? The word of God is living. This is what is our first distinctive. It'll come on the screen. Christ centered preaching. This is at the heart of all we intend to do here at Grace Community Church, that we will proclaim the authority of the word of God without apology. That I stand behind a pulpit, we gather in small groups, and wherever we go as the people of God, the temples, we proclaim the word of God, the authority of the word of God. And for that, we do not apologize. We interpret all of life through this word, not the word through our lives and experiences. We'll talk about that in small groups this week. Listen to what the word of God says about the word of God. Psalm 19, the psalmist says, the law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. He's using all of these different words to describe the law of God. Verse eight, the precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, even much fine gold. Do you think of the Lord's day in that way? Well, I could be doing and I could be earning, but I will gather under the word of the Lord because I desire the word more than gold, even fine gold, sweeter also than honey and drippings of the honeycomb. Moreover, by them, by the law, the precepts, the testimony, by the commandments, by them, your servant is warned. And in keeping them, there is great reward. This is where the blessing of God is. Psalm 1 says that. Jeremiah the prophet in chapter 15, 16, he said, your words were found and I ate them. 
I just ate them up and your words became to me a joy and the delight of my heart. Do you see you're the, the passion that he was devoted to the word of the Lord. It did something in him and to him and through him that no other human word could do. He said, for I, and this is where he's humbled, for I am called by your name. How humbling is this? Oh, Lord God of hosts. Do you hear that chasm has been breached? It's been bridged? How? Through the word. Salvation revealed through the word, Isaiah 66. He says something similar. He says, all these things, this is God speaking, all these things my hand has made. And so all these things came, all these things came to be, declares the Lord. He's exalted over all. He spoke and he created He's exalted over all. We just sang that. But this is the one to whom I will look. See, it, the word of God, it can set this high and lifted up as God. And, and here we are and we're sinners. And what do we do? This came up in our New City Catechism a few weeks ago. It just, it was lights out. You're sunk. You're in trouble. You're doomed. But it doesn't end there. But you have nothing valuable in salvation unless you see, I need to be saved. I need to be rescued. I'm not good enough on my own. But this is the one to whom I will look. Our ears ought to perk up at this. Who does God take notice of? He who is humble and contrite in spirit and trembles at my word. There's a reverence to the word of the Lord. Is this us? Does this describe you? Does this describe us as a people, that we are a people who tremble at the word of God? Hebrews 4.12, why would we tremble at this word? For the word of God is living and active sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and spirit, of joints and of marrow, and, is, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. It cuts all the way to the center of a human being, deeper than any surgeon's scalpel can cut or a sword of a, of a soldier. It pierces us. It's the word of God. First Peter 1, 22 says, having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth. There's another description of the word of God. For a sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart. Since, here is the result, because you have a pure heart, you've been purified since you have been born again. Not of perishable seed. That's how we're all here, the, you know, we all... Even have a birthday today. Why? Because of perishable seed from our inherited human fathers. We've been born once, but Peter's talking about what Jesus said to Nicodemus in John 3 you must be born again. You must be born twice. You must be born from above. This is the working of God. Since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, I'm not talking about who your dad is, but of imperishable. Well, how does this happen, Peter? Through the living and abiding word of God. And then he quotes Isaiah 40 and verse 8. He says, For all flesh is like grass, and all its glory like the flower of grass. 
the grass withers and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains how long? Forever. Forever. And then Peter says that Old Testament. I, I was just somewhere uh, a couple of weeks ago talking with another, another pastor. I said, yeah, we're in Nehemiah. Oh, in the Old Testament, huh? Uh, <laughs> yeah. Because the Old Testament is part one and the New Testament is part two. Part two means nothing without part one. Okay, we need both. They go together. Here, Peter is in the New Testament, and he's saying, you've had this message. It isn't that salvation is some new way now since 2,000 years ago. It's always been the same way. It's always been God's doing by grace through faith, repentance, and trust in the living God. They looked forward to Messiah to come. We look back, Messiah has come, and he will come again. Okay, so Peter is saying, he quotes Isaiah from the Old Testament, and he says, and this word is the good news that was preached to you. That's what they did. They would go and they would proclaim, you have the scrolls, you have the Old Testament. Can we tell you who they're pointing to? It's Jesus of Nazareth who was crucified in the place of all who will turn from their sin and trust him. And they buried him, yes, they did, but he rose again and he's coming again and we're preaching everywhere like he did and John the Baptist did and all the prophets, repent. You need to be revived. Are you ready to meet your maker? There's only one way to be ready for this day. Romans 10, 17, so Paul says, so faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. What are we praying as we gather today that someone who does not have faith right now in Christ, that the, the word of God, by the spirit of God, through a servant of God, will work in their heart and open their heart and open them to life. And at first it's painful and it cuts, but it doesn't stay there. It's not pointless, meaningless guilt. It's revealing you have a problem. We all do. But the scriptures provide the solution who is our savior. It's Jesus. Nehemiah chapter 8, verse 9. And Nehemiah, who is the governor, and Ezra the priest and scribe, and the Levites who taught the people said to the people, this day is holy to the Lord your God. Do not mourn or weep. For all the people wept as they heard the words of the law. Then he said to them, go your way. Eat the fat and drink sweet wine and send portions to anyone who has nothing ready. For this day is holy to our Lord. And do not be grieved. For the joy of the Lord is your strength. So the Levites calmed all the people saying, be quiet, for this day is holy. Do not be grieved. And all the people went their way to eat and drink and to send portions and to make great rejoicing because they had understood the words that were declared to them. Father, this is your word. And like the people of old, we gather on this day, a holy day, 
under the teaching of your word, every one of us, I'm under this word. I have no authority apart from this word. But with this word, you have given us that authority that is from Jesus, all authority on heaven and on earth. And so our endeavor today is to make disciples through the preaching and application of the word understood. Help us, Spirit. Help me. Help every listener to have ears to, see, to hear what the Spirit is saying to the church. In Jesus' name, amen. That's an amen. You just have to translate that as an amen. <laughs> Repentance is happening right now. All right, three marks of a true and lasting revival. Oh, may we be a people devoted to the word of God. When people are right with God, this is what God's people will do. Number one, remember the Lord. Remember the Lord. This day was a holy day. And they were called, it was set apart, they were ready. All right, we're, just in, we're continuing this section. We didn't take it all last week. We're seeing the movements of this day. They're convicted. They were excited. Bring the book. Then the book is read, six hours, the message. And they're convicted. They're not in a hurry to run away. They're wondering, what do we do? This is a problem. It's a holy day. The scriptures declare the holiness of God. The scriptures declare the holiness of God. This is what they've been listening to, that this God is good and he is glorious. His glory over all. And they've been in his presence and they've been listening. This God is holy and he is exalted. The children of Israel knew about this. They knew about Yahweh, the great I am that sent Moses. Moses looks out as he's tending the sheep and he sees the bush on fire and it's not burning up. And he goes and he comes into the presence and the Lord says, take your sandals off, Moses. You're on holy ground. You're coming into my presence. And when you're in my presence, it's not like anyone else's presence. You've been in Pharaoh's presence. It doesn't hold a candle to the presence of the Lord. He's exalted and he is holy and they knew. He, go to Egypt. What, who am I gonna say sent me? They're not gonna believe me. Here I am. I'm, who am I? I'm from the desert and uh, Pharaoh, let all the Israelites go. Says who? Tell him I am that I am is sending you. Not I was, not I will be, but I am. I always have been, I am, I always will be. And so he went with that name, and that name was enough and sufficient. Pharaoh didn't believe it at first, but 10 plagues later he did. And that name representing this God who is exalted and glorious. And understand this, loved ones, this is why we have a trembling before the word of God because this God has spoken and this God has declared his word and he hasn't stumbled and muttered and stammered. It's very clear. And so my job, our job as God's people is to understand the word. It's to embrace the word and it's to deliver the word. This is the word that people need. This is the only solution that will fix nations. This is the only solution that will solve the problem of mental illness, of everything else, heart 
every aspect of our lives, the broken home, the broken family, depression, suicide, murder, homicide, all of it, it's because we have not been listening to the living word of God and understanding and applying it, which is much different than just carrying it or having an app on our bio, you know, on our phone. There it is. I have the word of God. It's not a rabbit's foot. It's not a lucky charm. A big old Bible in your living room on the table will not solve family conflict. It must be read, heard, listened to, memorized, meditated on, and applied and shared with others. It's the word of God. Isaiah, he went into the presence of the Lord. He was never the same. This word changes us, Isaiah 6. Verse one, in the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne. Right there, he's in the middle of a valley. His friend died. The king died. And, and often when we come to funerals, that's when we are listening. Life stops. We usually don't say, oh, I have to work, I can't make it. We shift our priorities, we drive, we travel because life matters. And this is where he, you know, King Uzziah died. I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne. Wait, that king died, his throne is vacant. This king is still, he's sitting on his throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him stood the seraphim, each had six wings, with two he covered his face, with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. And one called to the other and said, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the foundations of the threshold shook at the voice of him who called. And the house was filled with smoke. And I said, so here's his response. Woe is me, death to me. I'm in trouble. I am lost. I am a man of unclean lips. He's seen this calculation. He's high, lifted up, exalted. I'm not. My thoughts are perverted, polluted. My speech, my attitude, my actions, I'm in trouble. For I'm a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. What's going to happen now? Then one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a burning coal that he had taken with tongs from the altar. And he touched my mouth and said, behold, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin atoned for. He's been transformed by the holiness of God. What's gonna happen to him then? And I heard verse eight, the voice of the Lord saying, whom shall I send and who will go for us? What happens to a person who's come under the word of God and been changed? Here am I. Send me. He saw the presence, the glory of God. His lips were touched. He was cleansed from the altar of God. What's gonna be the outworking? Here I am, you have me, I'm all yours. So if someone's life is not lived in surrender, that's where they have to go back and say, has there been surrender? Which is different than praying a prayer or doing something religious. Have I given my all to Jesus Christ? For he alone is worthy. Loved ones, the people of God are people of the book. When we hear, we understand the word of God, 
we see in Scripture the holiness of God, it wrecks us and then it rebuilds us. That's the important thing. It takes down bad thinking, bad theology, and it puts up good thinking, right thinking, and right theology in its place. My stories will never do that. They won't help at all. Sometimes they help with understanding. But ultimately, it's the word of God that just must be explained, must be clear. It's the all-sufficient word of God. He created the world by the power of his word. And we're holding a copy in our hands today. And think about it. He created all things, and he speaks so that we can know him. He wants to be known not to just crush. He could have crushed Pharaoh on plague one. He didn't even need plague one. Moses could have come in and said, let my people go. No, okay, you die, done. Now we'll go. But the Lord raised up Pharaoh, sovereign over all, listen to me, sovereign over all wicked leaders. They can only go so far, and then like my little dog, hits the end of his leash chasing all the squirrels, and it's a horrific stop at the end of that leash. So it is with all leaders. That's why the Lord says he looks down and he laughs when Putin makes his plans or any other, Hitler, Stalin. Oh, they seem to be powerful until they hit the end of the leash. And then guess what? They're just men. And their throne, their office is vacated and somebody else moves in. There's a throne, a higher throne, never vacated, never has been, never will be. This is revealed to us through the word of God. Hebrews 1, verse 1, long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, the writer of Hebrews is talking about the New Testament times, 2,000 years ago. He has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed the heir of all things. Okay, so that's, it's all going to him. At the end of all things, the point of all things is Jesus. So then false religions, ah, ha, ha, see? So he was created and he started 2,000 years ago. Well, you gotta read your Bible. Through whom also he created the world. It all started with him. It ends with him. It's sustained by him. It's all about Jesus. Very clear. He is holy. Scripture also then displays the history of humanity. Here's our problem. We're fallen and we're desperately needy. We are broken. I don't have to stay long to make this point. Just think about your own struggles and thoughts and failures and desires and plans, and how's that going in life? That's all of us. That's just all of the bad people on the news. This is the guy I see in the mirror every day. 
We all have struggles. And scripture displays, here's our history. Adam and Eve, thanks a lot, our first parents, has God said. Just doubt the word of God. How can God be good and this bad thing happen? You know what? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to call him into my courtroom. I'm sorry. What did you do to arrive here on this earth? Nothing. Hmm. But you're going to somehow call God to your standard in your mind. Do you understand how blasphemous that is? How quickly in our minds we can hold God guilty as if we are judge? That's thin ice. It's no ice. Adam and Eve disobeyed. They died. They spread the disease of sin to all of their children. That's why Jesus was born of a virgin. He doesn't have Adam's blood flowing through his veins. Romans 5, 12, Paul says, Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, he's talking about Adam, and death through sin, so death spread to all men because all sin. This is our problem. This is our history. This is all history. This is Jew. This is Gentile. This is everybody. We all have a problem. We've all disobeyed God in word, in thought, and in deed, and therefore we will all one day die. It's just a reality. Unless Christ returns for his church, we're going to meet that final enemy. But all who are in Christ will just die one time. And, and death just ushers us in the presence of the Lord. It has no power over us. Whole 1 Corinthians 15 deals with that. Paul wrote in Romans 6.23, for the wages of sin is death. That's why we die. But the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. So here's the end. Here's the problem. Wages of sin, we, we get what we deserve. We die. But it doesn't end there. Jesus came. He gave his son, this free gift. And in him is the eternal life. It's in Christ. But all who die without Jesus Christ, trusting in themselves or any, anything else, John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life, eternal life. There are the two outcomes. Rejecting Jesus is you, you will perish. You will be separated from God forever in a place called hell, created for the devil and his angels. Or those who receive this gift are given life that never ends, and it begins at the moment of conversion, the moment of salvation. The Spirit of God takes up residence in this human temple, this human tabernacle, and then our works are finally at last good. Why? Because he does them through us. So remember the Lord. We need to remember the Lord. This is a holy day. This is the Lord's day. I, I try to set that before us as a people often. This is the Lord's day. This is a holy day. And we evaluate our schedules and all of our time and all of the options and the places that we could be remembering this is a holy day. I would have a concern that some people don't even have time for God to do a revival. 
Um, let's see, how about next uh, 2023? Maybe they could... Like there were people like Thomas missed it. Thomas, Jesus was here. Oh, my bad, I was busy. And Jesus came back. Hey, Thomas, come here. All those words you said, go ahead, put your fingers in. Go ahead, Tom. no, 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 seriously, put your fist in my side. No, uh-huh, I heard what you said. Do it. And his life was changed because the living word was alive again. Number two, repent. Repent in humility. This was a holy day, yes, but it was also a heavy day. This was a heavy day. This was weighty. Hearing the word, it wasn't just a long day, six hours. I'll let you know when we're working on a six-hour church service. But sermons from Scripture are often heavy. In the Old Testament, it's often the burden of the Lord. You don't find prophets just skipping out of their, you know, prophets' chambers, gleeful with a message. Often they come out, they have to pray, they have to swallow and say, this is the word of the Lord. Sometimes the messages didn't make a whole lot of human sense, but they said it anyway. Put yourself in the shoes of Jonah walking through the people who would skin their enemies alive and put them on stakes and say, repent or perish, repent or perish. He hated those people. Who's this guy? Smells bad, looks bad too. What's up with him? I don't know, but he said, repent and perish. And the whole nation, the whole land of Nineveh did. As he sat up on the hill trying to wait for it to, you know, come on, Lord, barbecue right now, come on. Lord, about my plant, I thought you were good. It all withered up. You have to read Jonah on that, right? Our sin produces sorrow of heart. This is what our sin does. It produces sorrow. Think about that in your own life. Sin, enjoyable at the moment, but it pays hardship and sorrow and suffering. The people here in Nehemiah's day, they were convicted by the word. They were cut to the heart. That's because it's a living word. And so it penetrated their heart. It cut all the way through to the inner part of their being. Karl Barth once said, he said, I've read many books. This book reads me. This book shows us our sin, but this book also shows us our Savior. You have to have both loved ones. There's a lot of churches that are only focusing on, you know, Jesus and the Savior and good and God is good for you and God's good for your life and he's for you. And there's only one side, like trying to have your car run with one post connected. You have to have both. Or it's just, I'm pretty good. I'm not that bad and Jesus will make me better. Wrong. I'm a sinner. I have offended a holy God. I deserve to be separated, but he made a way for me, the sinner, to become not just pardoned off a death row, 
adopted and become his son. Who does this? What kind of grace is this? Hebrews 4.12, for the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and spirit, of joints and marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. This is the piercing word of God. We have guilt. There's no sufficient help for the self-righteous person. Well, I'll just try a little harder. I'll just stop doing those things. I'll start doing the other things. You have to be, you have to put God first in all things all the time your whole life. We're all in trouble, except there's a, sa- there's a Savior. We have guilt. So in Romans chapter 1, Paul is writing and he writes, and the Jewish people that would hear that would think, yeah, the Gentiles, the, you see that list, that vice list, they're horrible, they're horrible, they're horrible. We're with you, Paul. And then he shifts in chapter two and he says this, therefore, you have no excuse, O man, every one of you who judges, for in passing judgment on another, you condemn yourself because you, the judge, practiced the very same things. All right, here we are in political season again, right? One political party, you're always, you always, and look what you did. And what is the other party? We're for you, and you always, it's back and forth. They both find the faults in the other, on the other side. Yes, we can be like that too. And Paul is saying, oh, so you can identify all of their failures? Okay, pay attention now. You practice the very same things. Verse 2, We know that the judgment of God rightly falls on those who practice such things. Do you suppose, O man, you who judge those who practice such things and yet do them yourself, that you will escape the judgment of God? Or do you presume on the riches of his kindness and forbearance, and patience, okay, that that goes with the question, why isn't God dealing with, and how come he's so slow, and where's the suffering, and you're seeing the act of God, and you're, you're dismissing the sinfulness of man, and your own sinfulness, the forbearance and the patience, not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance. But because of your hard and impenitent heart, you are storing up wrath for yourself on the day of wrath when God's righteous judgment will be revealed. You can find all the faults in the other people. But often we do the same things in our heart. And what are we doing? Without Christ, just storing up wrath for the day of judgment. Oh, we need grace. We have guilt, but we need grace. There's abundant help for the humble 
for the honest sinner. And repentance brings about a righteous perspective towards sin and toward ourselves and toward a savior. After David the king sinned with Bathsheba, Nathan the prophet was sent to him. You know, that was no light, frivolous message to walk in. If your name is Nathan, go tell David he sinned and I'm coming for him. Hey, King, morning. How you doing? Coffee's ready? Good. Yeah, hey, just want to let you know uh, the Lord's really upset with you and he's going to judge you. No, he prayed about it. He thought about it. And he had the whole, hey, um, King, got to talk to you. Somebody in your land, yeah, they have plenty of sheep. They're like a sheep rancher herder, maybe a massive amount. They had a company come in. They took their one little lamb from a poor family down. They only had one. And he went and got his one lamb, slaughtered it, served it to his company. David, the self-righteous, what we just read in Romans 2, the judge, you who judge, you also do these things. What did he say? That man's gonna die. And Nathan says, you are the man. Only we're not talking about a little lamb. We're talking about you took a man's wife. And you had her husband murdered at the front of the battle. But how righteous you were, self-righteous you were, and you were just going to off with their head to the guy who took the lamb. Psalm 51, that whole passage, I just want to read verse 4. This is how you hear a penitent, a broken, but he's going somewhere, and David says, because all of our sin... God is always the supreme one offended. Against you, you only have I sinned, David prayed, and done what is evil in your sight. That's where repentance begins, loved ones. It's not just saving face with our families around us and people around us and coworkers and neighbors. And as long as they think I'm okay, that's what David was doing until Nathan said, I'm talking about you. And he was broken, he was crushed. But that's the crushing that leads to being made whole again. So that you may be justified in your words and blameless in your judgment. What's he saying? I'm guilty. I've offended you. If anything's gonna be made right with Uriah's family, I have to start with you. If anything is gonna be right in your world, you and I have to begin with God. When Peter preached on the day of Pentecost, I mean, he laid into him. It was no short sermon, and he laid into him. He called them murderers. You've been waiting on Messiah? You murdered him. You killed the Son of God. Acts 2.37, now when they heard this, they heard these words, he was clear. He wasn't just giving a, how can we have on the day of Pentecost, you know, in Jerusalem, how can we have 10 points for a better life? How can you fix your marriage? You got trouble with your kids? You got trouble with your finances? You know, none of that. This is where it all starts. And if this is off, everything else is going to be off in our lives. They were cut to the heart. Peter preached and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, brothers, what shall we do? 
And Peter said to them, ha ha, I have an answer for you. This isn't just crushing you to death. This is crushing you to life. Here's his answer, repent. You have to have a change of mind, a change of heart, a change of life. It's a 180. It's not just a veer. It's not just a little shift a little bit. This is, I was on my way to hell. I was thinking a certain way about Jesus. Ah, good prophet, influential teacher, not bad. Some people respect him. And then I realized my sinfulness and this savior, and I've turned completely around because God opened my eyes. I stopped. Well, you know, I was baptized. Well, you know, I'm pretty religious. Well, I hold this. I have, that. I have a lot of Bibles. All of these other things. Stopped all that. Peter said to them, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you. You know, I can stand before you today, for those who are here, for those who are online, and I can say, this message is for you. Well, do you know how bad I am? Do you know who would come to faith in Christ, the apostle Paul? You must repent. For the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are afar off. Everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself, God is sovereign over every aspect of salvation. And there's nobody too far gone. All who are afar off, the way off over there on that other continent. Yep, for them too, the message is going to them. This message is for you. Oh, loved ones, our sin produces sorrow, but the joy of the Lord provides strength for our hearts. So cast your burden on the Lord. Here's where we see the joy. So all of the people, I mean, this hit a minor note. This hit a low tone in the day. This was a celebration. Bring the book and, ooh, oh, we're not doing that. Oh, doing that. We shouldn't be doing that. I, I, Sermon after sermon, hour by hour, it's just getting heavier and heavier and heavier. You ever feel like that under some sermons? I feel that way studying some sermons. But it doesn't stay there. The psalmist says, Psalm 55, 22, cast your burden on the Lord and he will sustain you. He will never permit the righteous to be moved. It's where you go. Keep going to self-help, no help. Try religion, won't help. You have to go to God. You have to go to Jesus. And then you find out, actually, he was coming for me. I just had to surrender. How marvelous is this God? So what are the exhortations that come from the leader? That day, it seems like Nehemiah kind of steps back up, and he says, hey, go your way. We're not just going to stay here and, 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 and cry and be in sorrow. Go your way. Don't stay here in sadness and sorrow. Let's go somewhere with this message. And he says, eat the fat and drink the sweet wine. Okay, this is the good portions. Don't go home and be like, I'm so horrible. Like, all I'm going to do is just water and just water and more water and, and bring some lentils and water and lentils. And for the rest of our life, we're just going to do, you know, penance and, and just afflict ourselves and afflict ourselves. And, and suddenly the Lord is like, okay, they've afflicted themselves enough. You know, religion's like this. And it's just like a hamster on a wheel and you never feel relieved He's like, hey, understand the goodness of God. We get it. You're defiled and messed up people, but you need to fix your eyes back on the Lord. Remember the Lord. He's good. So eat the, here, get the fat back and you know, have the sweet wine and let's go for it and celebrate. Let's turn this day into a celebration. 
send portions to anyone who has nothing ready. Why would you do that? Because this God is so good, he's given to us. And somebody's like, oh, I don't have anything. I'm a little short. I'm out. Hey, this God has been so good to me, I'm going to share with you, and I'm going to be his hands and feet. And you're going to start to get the idea of what community is. And I'm going to send you a bill. Now, that was uh, 1432 for that uh, sweet fat that I sent you over there, the sweet wine. No, just here, let me give to you. Let me share with you. Let me be generous with you. And they say, do not be grieved. Hey, it's time to take your eyes off self. Put your eyes on the Lord. Don't be grieved. Don't be just ripped apart, just staying in a constant state of, um, me, poor, oh, downward spiral. Know anyone like this? Any struggles like this? Just constantly down and down and down as if the Lord's like, okay, you've gone... No, let me go a little further with you there. Now we've done enough. If the Lord wanted to do that, he would have done that a long time ago. He crushed his son so that he can welcome you as a child of God. This is the way up. This is a, let's turn, let's, let's switch the song a little. Let's change the tone. And they're not done. And there's more preaching. And there's more repenting. But don't be grieved. Let's live in the goodness of God. You know what they're doing? It's like the leader is just taking the shackles off the people that sin and Satan has held on them. And he's saying, let's go free. Let's not go back anymore. We've been imprisoned. We've been exiled. We've come back under the word of the living God. Let's live in this freedom. Let's live in his goodness. And the Levites, they start adding their voice. Here's the small group leaders. And they're saying, no, seriously, calm your hearts down. Be quiet. This, all these leaders that were out there, the Levites, like, shh, stop crying. Here's some tissue. Here you go. Here's a tissue. Stop crying already. Did you hear? Let's eat. Let's fellowship. Let's get in community together. Let's enjoy the goodness of God together. Be quiet, for this day is holy. Do not be grieved. So, yes, you've been convicted but are you still doing what was wrong? No. Okay, then walk in newness of life. Walk in freedom. Walk in liberty. Walk in obedi obedience. What did the Peter write? He said this, 1 Peter 5, 6, humble yourselves therefore under the mighty hand of God so that at the proper time he may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on him. Why? He cares for you like no one ever cared for you, is how Jesus cares for you. There's no human being that can care for you like Jesus cares for you. Well, what then? What then? If we remember the Lord and we repent in humility, then rejoice. Rejoice in obedience. This day, oh, it was a holy day. It was a heavy day. But now this day becomes a happy day. Now this day becomes a happy day. It's, it's characterized by happiness and joy. There's a complete change. And this is a call. What those small group leaders and the leaders are saying is, let's live. Let's live with God's people in the celebration of God's grace. Let's enjoy this. None of us deserve this. We deserve God's wrath. We deserve his judgment. 
but we can stand forgiven at the cross. So let's live. Let's live with God's people in the celebration of his grace. Let's, let's get to know this God. I want to read you another quote out of this book. I actually forgot about this book, and I usually put these quotes on the screen, but you just give me reading in a book, okay? Listen to what he says about when you get in community, and they're, they're sharing the meat, and they're, they're sharing the sweet wine together, and they're, they're, they're giving away, and they're loving one another in this community. And then they are talking about the sermons that they heard and how it's impacted them and affected them and changed them. And he writes this, he says, when I hear you tell of the Lord's dealings down where you really live in your home relationships, in your business and so on, it surely reaches me on some spot where I need the same light and deliverance. That is exactly how great revivals break out and spread. When we get into small group and it gets beyond the, morning, how you doing? Fine, great. And we begin sharing, actually, I'm not doing so great as a husband, as a father, as an employee, as an employer, I'm struggling. As a citizen, I'm struggling. My, my priorities. Then somebody else is like, "Oh, now that you mentioned that, that's I've been struggling in that." Hey, let's pray. Let's pray for one another about that. I'm not alone in this. And so God wraps around His people a community of people who are struggling, but they struggle forward together in the grace and the goodness of God. That's His plan. Psalm 30, verse 5, the psalmist says, For his anger is but for a moment, but his favor is for a lifetime. Weeping may tarry for the night. Oh, but thank God for this. Joy comes in the morning. So yes, we have brothers and sisters around this planet that are struggling and even losing their lives, but they can hold on to that verse and say, Joy comes in the morning. And Romans 8, Paul writes, verse 31, What shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He, listen to this, who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. That's the cross. How will he not also with him, with Christ, graciously give us all things? He's given you the best there is to give. There's nothing better than Jesus, and he gave Jesus for you. What will he hold back that he deems good for you and good for me? And that, loved ones, includes suffering and trials. Oh, may we live with the people of God and just celebrate his grace. And may we love God and his word. These two are inseparable. I can't say, well, I really love God, but the word, not so much. Oh, I really love the word, but not so much this God. I just study this word so I can have theological arguments. No. The believer loves God. Because we've been loved by God. It's corresponding. It's a response that he loved me first. The believer loves God. It's a defining characteristic of the believer, Romans 8, 28. And we know that for those who love God, there it is. They love God. People know them. They love God. Oh, which God? The Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. They're always talking about Jesus. They love that God. Oh. For that person... Who loves God, all things work together for good. For those who are, well, how do they ever get to come to love God? Because they're called according to his purpose. The believer loves the word of God. They love God. They love his word. You remember what Jeremiah said? We read it earlier. Your words are found and I ate them. 
I, I, as a kid, I was like, I don't know. I'd always, I, when I'd hear this, I'd look at my Bible and I'd be like, I don't know. It's trying to make sense of this. It just doesn't, I'm not that hungry yet. Uh, you know, I, I don't, it just didn't make sense. But now I understand. Your words were found and I ate them. Your words became a, to me a joy and a delight of my heart, for I'm called by your name, O Lord, God of hosts. You're mine. I'm yours. I love your word. The believer, the disciple of Christ, will spend their life and be spent in the mission of bringing God's word and his message of his son to all who have never heard, telling people about Jesus. I want you to go with me as, as we close to Revelation. Revelation chapter two. If you just turn there in your Bible, this is when Jesus comes. So we, we spend a lot of time, we, we, a lot of times Acts 20, Paul saying goodbye to the Ephesian elders. At some point, we're gonna study through Paul's letter to the Ephesians. This, this church had great leaders I mean, the Hall of Fame leadership for the Ephesian church. And then in Revelation 2, Jesus has a word to this church. And he begins with an encouragement, and then it turns. Revelation 2, verse 1, to the angel of the church in Ephesus writes, so he's telling John, write this down. The words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand, who walks among the seven golden lampstands, that's Jesus. He's here in this church. He's walking. He's looking with the eyes that burn like fire. He knows everything about you and me. He cares about this people as a church. Are, you, are we getting this? Like he's not in heaven, distracted, not knowing what you're thinking and I'm thinking and right now, motives, attitudes, all of it. He's like, they're in my hand. And those, I believe that messengers is the pastors, they're in my hand, they're mine, it's mine. I care what happens in my church. I know your works, your toil and your patient endurance and how you cannot bear with those who are evil, but have tested those who call themselves apostles and are not and found them to be false. Remember what Paul said? There's, there's wolves coming in from outside and up from inside. So be on your guard. The Ephesian elders, they did, they were. They were like, we're gonna know our stuff and they became fighters for the, we're gonna contend for the faith. So far, we're sounding pretty good here. I know you are enduring patiently and bearing up for my namesake, and you have not grown weary. Wonderful, as a commendation there. But then this little word, this three-letter word, but, but, I have this against you, that you have abandoned the love that you had at first. That's a problem. You've lost your first love, so what does he say then? Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen, repent and do the works that you did at first. If not, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. Verse seven, he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who conquers, I will grant to eat of the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. Do you hear what he's saying? Three words, remember. Repent. And when he says do, what's he saying? Return. Go back. 
Go back to your first love. Maybe you're under the sound of my voice today and you once professed to be a follower of Christ and as you look and you realize the Lord is evaluating, he's looking over your life and you're like, where am I? Where have I gone? Where have I fallen? What do I do? Repent and return. And that's what Nehemiah, that's what they're saying to the people, like remembering the Lord We're repenting in humility, so let's rejoice then. Let's serve him in joy and gladness and celebrate the goodness of God. And that will emanate throughout the nations and nations will say, what's going on over there in Jerusalem? Can we worship your God? Can we serve your God? Does he have room in his family for us? And the answer is, church, yes, as long as you are alive. Die without Christ, and it's too late. Morning turned into dancing. The Lord's been good to us. Better than we deserve. We thank him for his word. May we hear and obey the word of the Lord. Let's stand together. Father, I'm humbled. I'm humbled by your word. I'm convicted by your word. And through your word, I read of my Savior who died to cleanse me. Cleanse me from all sin. Oh God, for those who have never turned and trusted in you, May today be the day when they follow this example and they just, they look to you. They admit their sin and they trust fully on Jesus. And that is where we find life. That is where everything changes. We're not immediately made perfect. We struggle, but we struggle with hope knowing the spirit of God lives in us and you will finish what you have started. So Lord, use me, use us for your glory and let us live in this joy. I need that. The heaviness is replaced with happiness, with joy. And that's what happens when we see Jesus, the way he is as revealed in your word. Do that in our presence today. Revive us for the glory of Jesus in whose name we pray. Amen. Thank you again for listening to Teaching from the Word at Grace Community Church. We are located in Richmond, Michigan. You can find us online at mygracechurch.com. Please subscribe and follow us at My Grace Church. It would be greatly appreciated if you would take a moment to rate, like, and share this message. We want you to always remember that you are loved.